We're going to be over in Matthew chapter 7 today. There were several men in a locker room of a golf club and a cell phone that was on the bench rang as the men were sitting there. And one of the men reached over and engaged the speaker phone. And he began to talk and the man said, hello. The woman was on the other end and she said, honey, it's me. Are you at the club? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm at the mall right now and found this beautiful leather coat. It's only $1,000. Is it okay if I buy it? Sure, go ahead if you like it that much. I also stopped by the Mercedes dealership and saw the new 2011 models. I saw one I really liked. How much, the man asked. $60,000? Okay, but for that price, I wanted to have all the options. Great. Oh, and one more thing. The house we wanted last year is back on the market. They're asking $950,000. Well, then go ahead and give them an offer, but just offer 900000 Okay. I'll see you later. I love you. man said, bye. I love you too. And as he hung up the phone, he looked around and men were just looking at him in astonishment. And in a matter of a, of a minute, he spent over a million dollars. So the man asked and says, does anyone know whose phone this is? <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Oh, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we see some things going on and we just don't understand what's happening. I'm sure the men were thinking one thing, completely different from what was going on. As we're getting ready for this, this service, we're getting ready for Christmas. A lot of people like to head out for Christmas service this year. Of course, Christmas Sunday is going to be on Christmas Day and that's going to make it tough for some. But I was asking some questions of myself and I thought, you know, for, for a lot of things, people just don't know the purpose of church. The purpose of church, what church is, is to be. And I think of all the different things that we have in our homes, things we've watched on TV, things that we have picked up and purchased, and each of those things has a certain function, but if you don't know what the function is, the thing is pretty much useless to you. I have one of these things in my shop. Some of you folks who have used one of these may recognize it and know exactly what it is. And for some of you people who have absolutely no idea and have never seen one of these before, you wouldn't know what it is. You wouldn't know how to use it. And therefore, it could be in your home. It could accomplish a whole lot of things. But you would never know because you wouldn't know what to do with it. And so what we're going to do right now as I'm going to set this right over here. And later on, we'll tell you what that is. Along with some very special surprises in the bag. Would you turn over with me to Matthew chapter 7? We're going to begin reading out of verse 7. It was tough to decide where to cut off and where to begin here, but we had to start someplace. But if you want to go back and see what happened before, feel free when you're home. Right now, we're going to start off reading off at verse 7. You can open up your Bibles or look up on the screen. Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish will he give him a serpent? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 
So what we learn from here is that everyone who asks receives. How many people receive them? Everyone who asks. Everyone who asks receives. So first off, we understand that everyone means everyone. There is a qualifier in there, though. We don't quite mean everyone, do we? We mean everyone who asks. Everyone who asks. How many people are out there expecting that God should do things for them, but they don't ask him? Do you know some unsaved people that hear some things that go on in the world and they think that, well, God shouldn't let that happen. If there was a God, he wouldn't let that happen. Why did this happen to me? Why didn't this happen for me? And they're asking questions like that. Well, did you ask? Because the Word of God says everyone who asks receives. And everyone receives what he asks for. Right? Now, we spent a a number of weeks looking at the things that we ask for in prayer. And there are some things that uh, the qualifiers for that that put us in a position to be able to get what we ask for. But he says, if you ask for bread, does he give him a stone? You as earthly fathers, if your son asks for bread, does he give him a stone? Would he give him a serpent? When he's asking for something different? No, what does he do? He gives him what he asks for. And so Jesus says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more your heavenly father? So there's some important things for us to know because many have become to believe some bad things in this thing. First off, some people come to believe that bad things come from God. The Word of God also tells us that every bad and imperfect gift comes from the Father. No, that's not what it says. What's it say? Every good and perfect gift. Then why is it that so many people are out there blaming God for these terrible things that happen? Because they don't know, do they? We don't know that bad things, that they came to believe that bad things come from God. They came to believe that God decided I didn't need a fish, so he gave me a serpent. How many people are out there saying, well, I asked God for this, but he decided I didn't need it, so he gave me this instead. And what they got, they're blaming God for, is bad. So they're going against what the scripture says, that if he asked for, if a human father would ask, have a son who asked for a fish, would he give him a serpent? And yet we blame God for giving us serpents, people in this world, because they don't know. What they don't know is that God is not evil. God is not evil. So it's important to know that good things come from God. That God gives what we ask for when we're, you know, of course, having faith involved. And that God is a good God. God is a good God. So if Jesus taught this, anyone who teaches differently is a... False teacher. If this is what Jesus is teaching, anyone, say anyone. Anyone. This means anyone. I don't care how popular they are, how long they've been in ministry. If they teach anything contrary to what Jesus teaches, they are a false teacher. They may not want to be. They may not be aspiring to be. But if they are not teaching what the Bible says, they are teaching what is false. So if Jesus teaches these things, anyone else who's teaching differently 
is a false teacher. If you didn't know that Jesus taught these things, would you be able to recognize a false teacher? He goes on in verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law of the prophets. And everybody that wants to get into this one first. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Whatever you want men to do for you, do the same. Pattern after what you want. Pattern after you want. What do you want? I heard someone discussing just, just discussing economy issues. Just issues on the economy. And somebody came up with this idea. This is a, a liberal mentality of an idea that has in, uh, in, uh, penetrated people. And it's wrong. The thinking is that if man seeks for his own good, evil will come. And that's wrong. The Bible doesn't even teach that. You know why? Now, because people will got there to say, well, if you're only looking after your own good when you're on the job, then other people will get hurt. And that's not right. Now, I'll put it into a place where you can think about this. How many of you have been in the stores? How many have found a nice salesperson in there? Found a nice salesperson and they waited on you. They helped you find the thing that you were trying to find. They worked with you. They, why did they do that? Did they do it for your good? Think about it. Did they do that for your good? They don't know you. Whose good did they do it for? Think about it. Think real. Who benefited the most by that employee taking the extra bit of time to go that way with you? Who benefited the most? The employee. The employee benefits the most. I know the store gets a benefit. But when the store is looking out over its employees and deciding who to give a raise to, who to give a promotion to, who do they decide ought to get it? The ones who do the best job, right? So if they have an employee out there who is really looking out for you and, and the people come in and say, is so-and-so here? They, yeah, I just really want so-and-so. And they keep finding people coming. In. Is so-and-so here? Oh, I'll wait until they're able to come on out. Then what's that employer do? This person is benefiting. My, I need to put this person into a place where they can benefit me better. But who's good that the person look out for? First off, their own. They also looked out for the interest of the store. And they also looked out for interest for you. But you can certainly argue that the thing that I looked out for the most was their own benefit. Because if they treat you well, they know that they will be rewarded. Right? And if they treat you well, then you something good happens for you. If a person goes out and invents a new product, who benefits? How many people have, have benefited from an iPod? Anybody here benefited from an iPod? Anybody benefited from a cell phone? Has anyone benefited from a microwave oven? Has anyone benefited from an affordable car? Has anyone benefited from gasoline? Has anyone benefited from a new and improved furnace in your home? Has anyone benefited from improved windows that are tighter and more resistant to losing heat? Why did the person invent those things? Because, oh... Because so-and-so needs to be warmer this winter, so I'm going to invent this. Why'd they do it? 
Because I can make some money. Because I think people will buy this. I think this will meet a need. And so they benefit themselves, but they're also looking out to benefit you. Folks, if you get into what the Word of God teaches you, it is impossible for you to look out for your own interest and not look out for the interest of other people. Because if other people are benefited, so are you. If other people are not benefited, then neither are you. When he teaches, teaches us here, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. That's a scriptural principle. It is fine to go into the store and do what you need to do. Now here is the Bible principle. This is what Jesus is teaching us. Whatever you want people to do to you, however you want them to treat you, you treat them that way. Does he... This is, this is the concept he teaches. The world will corrupt this. The world will teach you. Read it like this. Let me read it for you the way the world will, tr- will translate this. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them until they let you down. Until they betray you. Until they come up short. Then do to them as they've done to you. Isn't that the word way of doing it? That's not God's way, is it? There is nothing in this verse that releases you to ever do unto others the way they have done unto you. All it says is, as you want them to do to you, you do to them. Whether they ever reciprocate it, whether they ever do the thing back to you, makes no difference at all. He says, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. That's how you do it. For this is the law and the prophets. This is what the Bible's been teaching, is what he's saying. However you want men to do to you, then you pattern it and you do it up to them. Go out that way first. So I was just saying your outline. This does not mean until they let you down, betray you, or in any other way don't measure up. You keep doing what you want people to do to you, regardless of how many actually do it back. You keep thinking, how do I want people to behave with me? How do I people want to respond to me? That's how I'm going to respond to them. That's what I'm going to do. So he goes on, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Enter by the narrow gate. So here's the thing. You've got a couple of gates there. You've got the narrow gate. You've got the wide gate. Now, that's blunt to us because we don't have walled cities anymore. So we're thinking, yes, I'm not really thinking about this way. But think about going into Philadelphia. You have a eight-lane highway and a two-way road. Which way do you want to get into the city by? Generally, by the wide way. Why? Because there's less probability of a problem. It's easier to get in on a wider road because traffic is usually moving better on the wider, usually. Now, when everybody converges on the wider road, then, of course, that way gets a little bit tougher. It becomes narrowed. But he says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. So here you have, here's one way that you can get into the city, and it's wide. Surely we can get in that way. And here's another way, it's narrow. We may not be able to get in that way. Let's go in this way. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He says, don't get in the wide way. 
get in the narrow way. Now, the word here, when it talks about the narrow gate, we talked about this in years past. It's been a while since we've been over this one. But if you remember, the word is different. When it says narrow gate, it means a narrow gate. It is narrow because of an obstruction. The picture is this. If you're driving down the blue route and you hear on the traffic report that all southbound blue route traffic has been moved to the right lane only. The left lane is blocked. What do you know to expect on the blue route? The traffic's going to be backed up because everyone is, is being forced into by a barrier into a narrower way. And that's what is, is being discussed there. But then he goes on. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to it. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. When he talks about narrow is the gate, we already talked to you, narrow because of a barrier. Difficult is the way is a different word. It is not the same word that means narrow. Now, some, some translations have narrow is the gate and narrow is the way. How many of you have a Bible that has it reads that way? If you do, throw it out. Get a, get a new one. No, I'm only messing with you. It is a way that you can translate it, but it's, it confuses it because it makes it look like it's the same word. It's not. Narrow is the gate. It's blocked by an obstacle. But then he goes into, into this one. The word is phlebosin. And it means to narrow by adding pressure. This word was used when the woman with the issue of blood was trying to come up to Jesus. But the people pressed in around him. They made the way difficult to get to because the people were pressing in. It's a word that would be used if you were going to make uh, grape juice and you put a bunch of grapes into a barrel and you pressed them. You took the grapes that were taking up this much space and you pressed them into a smaller space. And that pressure is what it's talking about here. That this way is being made narrow by a pressing in of things. Now, some of you are going to watch football today. And I want you to think about this word every single time that Michael Vick or whoever is quarterback in your team is dropping back for the pass and you see the Eagles defense or offensive line begin to drop back into pass coverage and the opposition is pressuring in the defense trying to get to him. They're taking the space that Michael Vick occupies and trying to make it small. They're pressing in. That's the concept that's there. You see, the quarterbacks would have an easier time if there wasn't a defensive line. Especially an effective one. It's an effective defensive line that makes it tough for the quarterback because they are pressing in. And the better they are at pressing in the less time the quarterback has to do what he's trying to do and his way there's an obstacle to it this is the same thing that's, that's happening the way that we go for salvation there is pressure the opposition is coming against us it's trying to get us out of the way it's trying to go in, go over here move over into into this spot go over into this area this way is wide there's no opposition there if the quarterback of your team were to turn around and look at the field the other direction, he would see wide is the way and wide is the gate. 
but he wants to go this direction. And in that direction, it is narrow. What would you say to the quarterback who turned around and saw the open space and ran? This would not be a good thing. Now, surely there's open space there. You could interview him afterwards after the game and say, why did you go that way? Well, the space was open. It was open that way. I thought I'd take it. <laughs> I thought I'd go that way. No, this is not it. There's a lot of Christians that are going the easy way because, well, look how wide it is out here. Look how open. It's so much. There's no opposition that way. I just want, I'll just go this way. At least I'm moving. Nope, that's not it. That's not the way, the way that we're supposed to go. So enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. So what Jesus is saying is, there's a whole lot of people going that way, because it's easier. It is easier. There's not a whole lot of other people going in this way. How many of you ever watched, uh, either in your town, maybe it happened, or maybe you watched it on TV, you have watched a marathon. Anybody watched the marathon? Seen it on TV. You see all those people ready to run a marathon. And as many people as you see running the marathon, you see more people standing there and watching them. I'll bet you most of those people that are standing there watching them saying, why are they running? Why run 26.2 miles? It's so much easier just to stay right here. I mean, you're going to go all around, come right back here anyway. I'm already here. Why would you do that? But there's something that drives them to go. As Christians, there's something that drives us to go the narrow way. It should. The opposition, the enemy, wants to get you to go in the wrong direction. It wants you to get you to go a way that you shouldn't go. It wants you to go in ways that people around you say, oh, this is okay. It wants you to compromise on certain things that the Word of God says don't do. It wants you to compromise on certain things you let into your eyes to see. It wants to compromise on some of the things you let your ears hear. It wants to compromise some of the things you let your mouth say. It wants to compromise some of the things that you feel. And there's no opposition that way. But oh, there's opposition the other way. Why should we do that? So, he says here, Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. There are many who go in by it. What happens to those people? Destruction. Why is God destroying so many people? Because God says, don't go that way. That's a bad way. That's a wrong way. Don't go that way. This is the way. Right here. This is the way. But that way is narrow. It's made narrow by so many opposition, so much pressure, so much thing. I don't want to go that way. This way is easier. That way leads to destruction. That way is like the quarterback turning around and going towards his own end zone. There's no opposition there. It's easier. God says, no, that's not the way. You watch. There's your homework. You have to watch some football today. And when you watch some football, you watch the quarterbacks. You find out how many of them turn around and go the other way. They don't do it. But there's no opposition that way. They get hits. They get all kinds of stuff going the other way. Why go that way? There's reasons for it. goes on in verse 15. Beware of false prophets. So see, we've already talked about the narrow way and the 
wide way. We've already taught. Jesus has already come in here and taught that there's a, there's a right way to do it. There's a wrong way. Here's the right way to pattern yourself. Do what you want other people to do to you. Do to them. Whether they ever give it back or not. Do it to them. Then he says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They come to, they look nice. They look like they belong. I mean, look, they got wool. I mean, I felt the wool. It's there. They, they say, bah. I mean, they gotta be a sheep. They make the noise of a sheep. They look like a sheep. They have wool. They must be a sheep. And so you bring the thing on in, but it's a wolf who's dressed up like a sheep. Cause he sounds like a sheep. He looks like a sheep, but inside he don't have teeth like a sheep. Teeth have different sheep than wolves do. And sheep eat different things than wolves do. You know, what do wolves like to eat, dude? Bro- Brussels sprouts and broccoli. They're wolf favorites. Cauliflower, right? No, what's a wolf like? Sheep are good. I like meat. The wolf says, I like meat. If it's a sheep and it's meat, it's good. The sheep doesn't eat meat. Sheep don't eat wolves. The wolves eat the sheep. Sheep's out there eating grass and stuff like that. Wolf's out there eating sheep. And he says, "Uh, if I pretend to be a sheep, then the sheep will let me in. And I can just pick them off one by one. Now I'll stand there and look at, oh, what happened to the sheep? Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Have you ever seen one who was a ravenous wolf who's dressed up in sheep clothing? You know, you kind of have, if you, all you Lost in Space fans, you kind of have that reaction like the robot. With the arms flailing. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger, Will Robinson. And just, you know, all kinds of noise. Every show has their own alarm. You know, the Star Trek had the red alert. I have no idea what Star Wars does. I'm sure that Star Wars does, does something for, to alarm people. And, but they all have something in there that triggers something bad is coming on. This is bad. If you're watching a movie, you know something bad is going to happen by the Music that's being played. Thank you. The music always trips you off. If you know, oh, here comes that music. This means something bad. Oh, I don't know what it is, but I know something bad's coming up. Oh, no, I can't stand it. I don't know what it is, but something bad's coming because the music is announced. It's coming. And so you see, that's a wolf. And they're in sheep clothing. And sheep just going up. Oh, wow. It's a good sheep. No, he's a wolf. No, he's a sheep. He's got wool. He says, bah. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Now, if he's saying beware, that must be there. There must be a problem here. Because Jesus is not just going to say, you know, be careful. Because we can get kind of cold to this. How many times have we heard warning labels on things that just don't need to have warning labels? I mean, you know, they, for a while, you know, coconut oil. How many of y'all know that got a bad rap? They took it out of the movie theaters. And so popcorn has never been the same. Never been. Some of you folks are not even old enough to have tasted popcorn made from coconut oil. And it is really a shame. You have been deprived. 
of one of the greatest pleasures of going to the movie and smelling the popcorn in the movie theater. Now you're stuck with the stuff you have now. And it's not the same. It is far better with coconut oil. The nice thing about coconut oil is if you fried up your popcorn today, next week it tastes the same. It tastes the same. It's still just as good. And even weak old coconut oil popcorn tastes better than the freshest stuff they make now. It's just that much better. But, you know, it was bad. Now, they, of course, they pulled all that, and it's, it's not bad. And then, you know, something else was bad for you. You know, certain saturated fats were bad for you. And then they pulled that back, and they said, well, no, you need some saturated fats. And then, you know, vitamins were good for you. No, no, too many vitamins are bad for you. Well, now you've got to make sure you take the right kind of vitamins. And don't self-medicate on vitamins. And there's warning. We get so many warning labels and all the prescription medicines that come on the TV. What do you get afterwards? Half the commercial is a warning label. Yes. Don't take this when you're driving machinery, especially the sleeping ones. <laughs> Why are you taking sleeping medication if you're going to drive heavy machinery? <laughs> I don't understand that. <laughs> Why do you need to put a warning label on there for that? Don't see that we need it at all. Beware of false prophets. When Jesus is saying beware of something, it is something to beware of. Because he doesn't say it that often. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Well, apparently some people who let, who let wolves dress in sheep clothing come in. They would. Because those people go over to a thorn bush expecting grapes. Well, it has grape leaves on it. Every, even so, every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. By their fruits, you will know them. Now, again, this is the warning. I'm going to read you some scriptures here of some more warnings that, that Jesus gives. These are just the warnings that Jesus gives. Not the warnings that Paul gives, because Paul picks up on this quite a bit too. In Matthew 10, verse 17, But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils, scourge you in their synagogues. Matthew 16, verse 6, Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Mark 12, 38, And he said to him, in his teaching, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplace. Luke twelve fifteen, and he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Matthew 24, 4, and Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you concerning the end times teaching he was about to give. So Jesus, when he gives a warning, he means that this is a warning. He doesn't do the arms flailing. He doesn't have one of those neat red alert sounds. He just says, beware. Be careful. Take heed that no one deceives you. So if we're warned by Jesus often to beware of something, is there a potential problem? There is a potential problem. So how can we be deceived? He says, be careful that you're not deceived. How can we be deceived? First off, you can be deceived by wrong information. Secondly, Twisted information. Wrong information, twisted information. And third, ignorance. Ignorance will mess you up. Now, we haven't forgotten about this thing, a little thing up here. If you are ignorant 
of what this will do, then this thing will sit in your home and accomplish nothing. If you receive twisted information, you will try and get this thing to do something it is not intended to do. It might even do it. But if it's not intended to do that, you could hurt something. They're not intended to do it. We need the right information to know how to use the thing correctly. We got a, a, a new, a new thing we had to use around the yard. And you know, they give you the instruction manual. And I was going through the instruction manual trying to set it up correctly. Doggone. You know, not, what is it? 90, 95% of the people in America are not illiterate. Why do we have to have these super small pictures that you cannot figure out what they're trying to tell you in the picture? Why can't you just describe it to me? Why can't you just write it right out there? If the, for the 5, 10% of people who can't read, great, put the pictures in there. For the rest of us, write it out. And so it's, man, it's, it's a simple request. Why are our instructions geared to the 5, 10% of the people in the country instead of the 90, 95? I'll bet you if someone is illiterate, they don't pick up the book. That's just my thought. So I thought, you know what? I'll bet you somewhere they've got this on video. I was thinking like YouTube or something like that. They probably somewhere have it. And so I actually went to the manufacturer's site and doggone if the manufacturer didn't let you pick the unit that you got and hit play. And they had all kinds of videos, how to set this up, how to do this. How to, so I just, glory to God, play. <laughs> and I saw the guy in the workshop setting the thing up the way it needed to be set up. And I was able to figure it out what I couldn't figure out for the drawing. And set it all up and got it all going, got it up and running. Glory to God, that was good. But you see, we had to have the right information. I knew enough about this tool that if I set it up wrong, it could hurt me. I didn't want to get hurt. So we set it up right. He goes on in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall I enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who what? Does the will of my father. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. How many of you know unsaved people who say, Lord, Lord, they know God, they know about God. But that doesn't mean they're going to heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? No, I'll bet you you got some neighbors that have not prophesied in the name of Jesus. They have not cast out demons in the name of Jesus and they have not done wonders in his name. Yet they still are going to stand there and say, Lord, Lord. But they won't be able to say. They'll hear some of them over there saying, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in your name. We have cast out demons in your name. We have done mighty works in your name. And they're thinking over here, I haven't done any of that. I'm just saying, Lord, Lord. <laughs> and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Remember what he said here in the beginning. Not everyone who says to me, verse 21, Lord, Lord, shall I enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father. Who does the will of the Father. Therefore, verse 24, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will be... I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. Therefore, whoever hears the sayings of mine and does them. 
I will like him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So he's teaching us here that there's two groups of people who build houses. One is those who hear and does what he hears. And the other one is one who hears and doesn't do what he hears. Both of them hear. Just because you hear the Word of God, just because you hear the Bible, just because you hear teaching, does not mean you're going to stand there and say, Lord, Lord, and he says, come on in. It doesn't mean that. But he who does the will of the Father is what he's talking about. He who does the will of the Father. And this one, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. So the first thing we need to do is to get out and to hear. I have to get out and I have to hear. I have to hear what the will of the Father is. Once I hear what the will of the Father is, I need to go out there and to do the will of the Father. Because if I just hear and I don't do, then I'm in the second group. I want to be in the first group. Anybody else want to be in the first group? It's important. I want to be in the first group. Whoever hears and does. Whoever hears and does. Now, it is impossible to do what you don't understand. Right? If I hear something, but I don't understand it, I can't do it. I had that machine in my hands, and I could see there was a drawing, but I couldn't get, I couldn't figure it out. Because it's a drawing. It's not telling me what has to be done, how the thing has to be set up. Whoever hears and does. The thing you need to do is to hear and you must understand. Remember the parable of the sower? The seed was stolen because of a lack of understanding. Understanding. Jesus said the first group that the birds came and they ate the seed. The sower sowed the seed. The first group... The seed was sown, but because they did not understand it, the birds came and ate up the seed. And it never took root, never sprang up, never did anything. It's important that you hear and that you gain an understanding of what it is that you're hearing. Then once you understand it, you need to go out there and you need to do it. You need to do what you heard and understand. So I hear, I understand, I do. If I do that, If I hear, understand, and do. Hear, understand, and do. If I keep doing that, that's the cycle. If I keep cycling and keep doing this, what are you saying is, you are taking your house that you're building, and you're building it on a firm foundation. Now, here's the thing. We have wrong teaching. We have twisted teaching. We have ignorant people who think that if I hear the word, if I get in church... If I follow after God, then the storms will bypass me. But there's not, that's not the story, is it? No, it says the storm will come on both. The person who heard and did and the person who heard and did not do. The group he's not mentioning are the people who didn't listen. I, re- I reckon they didn't have a house and they're just washed out to sea. They're gone. <laughs> See ya. He's just dealing with the people that were trying to make an effort to build a house here. 
So if you hear, understand, and do, not only do you have a house that everybody can see and that you can be in, but that house is firmly planted on a firm foundation. So he says, when the storm comes, when the winds beat against that house, when the floodwaters rise up against that house, the house will stand. That's what he says. The house will stand. But if you hear and don't do it, then when those winds come, floodwaters come, rains come, when that happens, they will beat on the house and the house will fall because it's built on sand. It looks like the same house, but the foundation is different. You need to be on a firm foundation. If you're not, then the storm comes and it wipes out what the house is setting on and then the ha- it's all over. You ever seen one of those pictures of a storm and the water comes in and the house is sitting there, it's taking a beating and all of a sudden the house starts to move and the house starts to float away. What happens to that house in a short bit of time? It completely collapses because once the house separates from its foundation, it's done. It's all over. You see the house floating down the river? Sometimes you see it floating down the river. Sometimes it just falls apart before it can even get over to the river. It just Because it has to be on the foundation. You need to be on the foundation. The storms are trying to get you off the foundation. But you see, if you hear the word and you understand the word and you do the word, the foundation becomes more and more solidified. Bigger and bigger storms can come your way and they don't phase you. Do you ever like, like watching that show, Storm Stories? I liked watching the storm, yeah. storm stories. They, uh, they showed one one time, hur- hurricanes, that uh, hurricane-proof house. Yeah. Oh, that was neat. This guy put some thought into this house, and he, he put his money where his mouth was. He stayed there. I think in the show, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the hurricane that was coming by was a four. It might have been a three. It wasn't, I don't think it was a five. I think it was a four. And it came on that house, and there was a reporter who stayed with them. <laughs> and they're filming from inside the house while the storm is going on. And if you didn't see it, the house is shaped differently. It's shaped so when the wind hits it, the wind goes over top of it. It goes around it. The, the glass is bulletproof glass. It's built up on stilts. If the water comes, it's going right underneath of it. And it doesn't matter if it washes anything away underneath because it's built on a firm foundation. Those stilts go way down. And the water is not going to wash it away. And when it was all over, again, I think it was a four hurricane that this thing was, was, was coming against. The house took some damage. But very little. I don't think there was anything standing anywhere near this house. I think it was the only thing that was standing up was this particular house. And it had made it through. There were some times when they were a little scared on the inside. Some water found its way in. But in the end, they were, they, the house stood. Because of the foundation that it was on. That's what God says. The enemy is desiring to destroy you. He's going to send temptations your way to get you to stop doing what you know to do. Because if he can get you to stop doing what you know to do, he erodes the foundation and you may not die now. You may not fall away now. But when he can get the next storm to come your way, done. Take you right down. 
And you'll be asking questions, why did God allow this to happen? How come this, I don't think I deserve, and you go question after question, and the Word of God would have answered it for you. God didn't do this. This is the work of the enemy. And God's bringing me through. But you got that eroded, and you fell off of that particular thing. So he says here, Rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall. Verse 25, for it was founded on the rock. It was founded on the rock. We need some Christians out there, folks, that are founded on the rock. Too many of them are just too easily swayed, too easily taken off of what their, their foundation is. Now, this, is, this promise is not for everyone, but he who does the will of the Father. Who does the things that he hears. So whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Whoever hears, got to hear first. If you're not in a church, if you're not in a place where you're hearing, then you're missing the first part. You're not hearing. You got to be hearing. Then you got to have the understanding. The churches that we're in, they need to let us hear the word and we need to come out with an understanding of the word so we can go out there and do the word because it's in the doing of the word that we establish the foundation, not in the hearing and the understanding. It's in the doing. So the storm came, the floods rose regardless of what each did. The storm came. And the word of God is not about diverting the storms, but preserving those they come upon. That's what the word of God is out there to do. You see, we've misunderstood the purpose of church. We think sometimes that we're supposed to be in a church and if we get into a good church, then bad things won't happen to us. And that's not right. We get into a church, we get into a good church simply because when we are in a good church and we are hearing the word and we understand the word, I can therefore go out and do it. And by me hearing, understanding, if you just come out on Sunday morning to a church, you hear and you understand on Sunday morning. And you go out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Build your foundation doing the thing that you heard to do. When the devil comes and prevents you with an opportunity to listen to what you know you shouldn't be listening to from the Word of God. To do what you know you shouldn't do. And you resist it. You are building your foundation. You are putting yourself on the rock. So that when the storm comes, the house doesn't fall down. The house, as far as a Christian is concerned, as far as what Jesus is teaching, the house does not fall because of the storm. The house falls because of what happened before the storm. But too many times we're we're falling in a storm and blaming God for it because you don't understand the purpose of church. We've got to understand the purpose. Anybody figure this out yet? This is a nice little gadget. It really does not have many uses. But what it does, it does better than anything else out there that you could ever find. Because whenever you are working around in a shop or you're working around in a home, whoever you are, there are times that you need to have one of these. See, the thing is, there are so few times that you need one of these that you have to always be aware of where it is. Because when you need it, you need it now. It's not like you can wait till tomorrow. When you need this little tool, you need it now. What this little tool does is first off, it telescopes. 
and it will pull out. And that's not useful by itself. But on the very end, something that you cannot see, there is a magnet. And when you lose a screw that falls down the little shaft that your heating ducts come out of, how many have ever lost something down there or a tool fell down into that thing? And, oh, you try and you reach down and you can't quite get it. Or if you are working on a, and there's a table or a bench there and the thing falls down behind it and you you can't get your arm down behind it, well, you just drop that sucker right on down there. And it's powerful enough that, um, yep, I brought it over, that if you if you drop something down in there, it'll pick it right up and pull that right on out. And then you can, you can have that. If a screw fell down there, how many have ever had, you know, in your house, you had those screws? They're made for that particular piece of hardware. You can't just go out and buy one. I need that screw. Pull this sucker out there. Go down there and get that screw. Pull it right on up. Go right back to town. Very useful little tool. Very cheap. Not very expensive at all. But it's very helpful when you need it. But you have to understand the purpose of it. Here's the problem with people in the Word of God and churches. We have not understood its purpose and we are going after things in another direction. There is one way to look at the things that we get from church and the things we get from the Word. And the first way that people look at things from the Word are pick-me-ups. I have a little coffee and some vitamins. Coffee? How many enjoy coffee? How many in the morning? That's a nice little pick-up for you. It gives you a nice little jump start and, and you all enjoy it. How many like vitamins? How many feel in their body that their vitamins jumpstart their day? Help them out with that. Absolutely. Vitamins are good. I told you before when I was in college, I got really into them. We were taking about two dozen a day. Well, about two dozen a time. Per, like morning, two dozen in the morning, two dozen in the evening. And there's an afternoon dose. We, had all, we were taking brewer's yeast. We were taking vitamin B15s. If you say there is no vitamin B15, you are incorrect. There is one. It's just not a B vitamin. They just called it that. We were taking B pollen. We were taking all kinds of things. You can bring that on up here. I can use it up here. I forgot I had him put the, pull that aside. And so we would go out there and we would do this. And you're taking that many vitamins at one time. We had to make it fun because how many of y'all take vitamins one at a time? You can't do that when you're taking 24. So we had competitions to see who could swallow the most at the same time. I got up to 24 in one swallow. In one swallow, I take the morning dose. One swallow, I take the evening dose. Just get them right on down. I can take six with no water. No water at all. Now, if I've got to go over that, I've got to take some water. But uh, other than that, don't need it at all. But this is how sometimes we view the Word of God. And this is, you'll see people when they, how they treat the word this way. They come into church and somebody read something from scripture. Oh, that ministered to me so much. I feel so much better. Just hearing those words. Oh, yeah. But there was no understanding. And when they left, there was no doing. That does absolutely nothing for you, but make you feel better for right now. Let me tell you what, folks. Coffee. As much as it gets you going, you can't live on it. It can get you going. It can perk you up a little bit. But its effects are short-lived. They will last for, what, a couple hours? And that's about it. There's, there's another way that people view the Word of God. Fast food. They go up to the drive through window. I'll have a burger. 
and fry. And well, let's go healthy. I have an iced tea. They get the burger and the fries and the iced tea. And they're going out there. Why do they do that? Well, I don't have time to go home and cook something. I'm really hungry and I need to do this. How many have been in a place where you need to fast food? Oh, come on. We've all been in a place where you need to fast food. But you all know you can't live on fast food. Fast food, it's an okay thing here and there to hold you over, but it's not going to get you by for a long time. If you rely on fast food, your energy level, what happens to it? It goes down. It does not give you sustained energy. What do you need for sustained energy? What was that? Coffee. Coffee. <laughs> uh, constant supply. I just brought this one along. I didn't have a, anything with a whole plate. But you need meals. You, now, pasta, the best food on the market. I mean, it's complete. It's got your vegetables. It's got your, uh, your uh, grains. It's got your dairy. You know, with the cheese. It's just got, it's got your meat if you put some meatballs in it. This one has chicken in it. I mean, you got everything right there. It's all just all put together. Beautiful, beautiful thing. But if you don't have sustained meals, meals that have substance to them, meat and potatoes, put some vegetables in there. Get a salad here and there. Get some stuff that has a varied diet. Then you're going to have some trouble in the long run. This is the stuff that carries you through. What happens is a whole lot of Christians are feeding off of, well, what's my verse for today? Oh, that made me feel so good. And then we go off. There's no doing. There's no doing. They go in and says, well, I don't really have time to really put into the meal, so I'm just going to pull it to the drive through window and get the fries and the burger. I don't really have, I'm just going to hear it. I'm just going to get into, into a church and I'm just going to hear it. And then I got, but then I got to go. I got to go. I got stuff to do. Got to hurry. Fast food. No, the stuff that's going to carry you through is the stuff you take time with. I'm going to hear this. I'm going to understand this. And then I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to hear some more stuff. And then I'm going to understand it. And I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to hear some more stuff. And then I'm going to understand it. And I'm going to do it. And you need to keep doing this. And for every single one of us, we have different, uh, uh, different types of calories. We need to get it. How many of y'all know how many calories you need to get through a day? Because everybody's different. Somebody's up, you know, 1,200 will get you through. Other people, 1,500. Other people, 1,800 calories. Maybe 2,000, 2,200 for, for some. Everybody knows what the what their caloric intake is in order to get a balanced diet for their metabolism and their, their activity and the level of things that they're doing. You have an idea. How many of you have no idea how many calories you eat? just eat? I just eat when I'm hungry. And that's all fine. I've told you the story before. When we, were in, when we were in college in cross country, we had to eat 4,500 calories a day. 4,500 calories per day we had to eat. But they only opened the cafeteria three times a day. That was tough. We had a hard time eating that much because uh, we lost interest in food. I mean, all of us, you lose interest in food. You run 10, 10 miles in the afternoon, you think you're going to get real, real hungry, and you're not hungry when you go in there for dinner. But if you didn't eat it, if you didn't eat the good stuff, then your energy level will begin to decline, your weight would begin to drop, and your body would have some negative effects. It's the same thing in the spirit, folks. We're not standing up to the storms because we're not hearing, we're not understanding 
We're not doing. We have lost the purpose that God has for church. Church is a place where we come and we hear the word. We understand the word. And then we're going off and we do the word. We said this, our focus is on two things here. The hearing and the doing. The hearing has to come with understanding, but we've got to hear and we've got to do. I want to read some verses here for you. I just wrote the, the references in your outline. But in Psalm 119, verse 50, this is my comfort and my affliction, for your word has given me life. The word, folks, is life. The word of God is life. And it's not this kind of life, coffee stuff. It's not fast food kind of life. It is wholesome, nutritious, sustaining food. That kind of life. Proverbs 4 and verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. In other words, hear them, do, understand them, do them. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. We think God ought to just, because I'm serving God, God ought to just make me healthy. No, eat. John 5, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment because he has passed from death into life. He who hears my word, they're the ones that pass into life. Acts 13, verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. What did he preach to them first? The word of God. They rejected it and judged themselves unworthy of everlasting life. So where was the everlasting life coming from? The word. Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Philippians 2, verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing. You don't need much to understand that. But how hard is that to do? But if you do it, what do you do? Build your foundation. Do all things except when you work for a real nasty guy. Do all things without complaining and disputing. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. The crooked and perverse generation is to have no effect upon us. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. See, for many, the word of God is just a set of do's and don'ts. It's not the life of God. The word of God, you have to understand, is the life of God. It is the lifeblood of God flowing into you. In order for it to work, you must understand it and do it. It's like a flow of blood in your body. And if you stop the flow of blood, what happens to your body? Bad, bad things. Christians have stopped the flow of life in their spiritual bodies because they are not continually pulling out the word, hearing the word, understanding it, and doing it. There's a person who told a story or given a test to, to her elementary school class. They were doing some reading on some things on the subject of the human body. And so the, question, the first question on the test was, name one major function of the skin. That was the question on the test, elementary school. Name one of the major functions of the skin. So one child wrote, to keep people who look at you from throwing up. 
Now, how many of y'all know that is a function? But that's not a major, that's not what they were going for. (laughs) That's not a major function here. The purpose of church, folks, in order to get the, the most out of church, you have to know what it was meant for. Now, I ran out of room when you're outlined. So if you want this, you can write it down. I wrote it down in mine. Church is a place to hear the word, learn the truth, and be encouraged by others as imperfect as you to go out into the world and practice living his will. I'm sure you got all that. It is a place to hear the word, learn the truth, and be encouraged by others as imperfect as you to go out into the world and practice living His will. It's in the doing that we establish the foundation. What is the Word of God to you? Is the Word of God a pick-me-up? Read it today, read it this morning, just kind of pick me up. Is the Word of God, well, I need to get this quick, I only have so much time. Or is it more sustaining? You're putting some time into it. What the Word of God is telling us, what Jesus has told us in His Gospels many times, is that storms are coming. Attacks from the enemy will come. They are on their way. Not just because you're special. Because storms come. Jesus even encountered some storms, physical storms, in His life. Storms will come. That's not the issue. The issue is how will you do it? How will you deal with it when the storm comes? What will happen to your thoughts? What will happen to, will you blame God for things He's not responsible for? You need to hear, understand, and do. And every time you go out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, even on Sunday, and you do what you know the Word of God has taught you to do, you are establishing your foundation. It's just like going deeper and deeper. And sometimes when you're down there in the shore, visiting the shore, if you're walking around the mall and you see pictures of some shore houses and you see maybe even some pictures of them building the foundation, you ought to buy them. Set them up in your house and see them take the pilings and drive them into the sand. Drive them down. Have you ever seen that done? Oh, it's a neat thing to watch be done. They drive the pilings down into the sand. One after another after another. Going further and further down. The deeper you go, the more expensive it is. But the shorter the house is. Every time you do the word, you can look at that picture. That's what I'm doing. I'm making my house solid. When the storms come and problems come, you hang on to the word of God. We had the opportunity this week with some of my wife's family when her cousin died. And we heard some of the things that people who go to church say. Both of us came out of this and said, thank God no one in our church would utter those words. You all know better. Besides, if you did utter those words, we, had the, we, we could come over and kick you. we just come right over there and kick you or just get you straightened up. There's just no reason for that. We were in there in the room as they wanted to pray. And so what they did was they prayed the Lord's Prayer. My wife was commenting about it later on. She says, 
That's all they know. That's all they know. Does the Lord's Prayer mean anything in that situation? When you get into a problem, what you rely on is what you know. It's what you know. What you know, what's established in your life is what you do. Because you do it on a regular basis. You rely on that knowledge on a regular basis. And the Word of God comes to you and even though the storm hits you, even though the storm came upon you, it doesn't move you because you have a firm foundation. What you considered a storm years ago, you think now is a summer breeze. Just a summer breeze. Just something that's come up. It's like, oh. But before, when you were first born again, that felt like a storm. But you see, you got more established with the Word of God. That's what we need to do. So we go out this season. You find some people, and they're not in church. They don't understand what church purpose is. You run out there, and you find out they're on the quick fix. They're on the pick me up. They're on a I need this fast. Now get them. You need to get them sold on the purpose. They need to see. Storms hit you, but you don't move. You're not swayed. Uncertainty comes in our times and you're not swayed. You're not in fear. Things happen to other people and they are caught up with despair, caught up with fear, and they see something similar to happen to you and you're a rock. You're smiling, giving glory to God, and they wonder, how is that possible? And you think it's just the way life is. But it's not for everybody. You need to get out there and help them. You need to pull them into a good church. If they're around here, bring them on out here with you. If they're not around here, help them find a good church. It's because what church needs to do is to take you to the Word so that you hear it. Get it so you understand it and encourage you to get on out there and do it. And our fellowship with each other, folks, is not that we see other perfect people, but that we see that other imperfect people, just like me, are out there struggling with doing the way God and are victorious and are winning are overcoming be an overcomer what you overcame last year is nothing to you now if you keep on going in that way he who hears the word and does it he is like a man who built his house on the rock on the rock every time you do the word every time you Accomplish His will. Every time you resist temptation, every time you stay away from hearing the things you shouldn't hear, from seeing the things you shouldn't see, from doing the things you know you shouldn't do because God's Word told you if you do that, it's, it's trouble. Every time you do it, I have solidified my walk. I solidified. Bigger and bigger storms are going to be needed to try and get me off because I'm not going anywhere. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Glory to God. Father, we thank you that you help us to get the most out of church life, to get the most out of the things you have given us. We need to know the purpose for why you put things here. We need to know what the purpose is. As we understand the purpose of why we come to church and the things that we do, we can get the benefit of it. Having a tool and not knowing how it operates, what it does, doesn't help us. We need to know what it can do, what its potential is, how to unlock it. 
And you've given us your word. You called your word life. And it needs to be life to us. Help us to unlock it. To open it up in our life. That every day we are more and more like you. Every day we are more and more solid on your word. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.